Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker or or, or if you are here for the first time, you're in the right place. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur, if you are a veteran entrepreneur, and I mean veteran as in the entrepreneurial space, or a veteran, someone like me who served, spent a career in the military and are now looking into or in the middle of that small business. Uh, I hope you're doing well and I hope you're thriving, but uh, today's conversation is really, really interesting. <laughs> And uh, I didn't know it was going to go this way. Um, and it was, we had 30 minutes to do it. I did it in 29 minutes and 57 seconds. It was baller, in my opinion. But it's with Travis Chapel, And there's no irony in that because uh, <laughs> there is. Uh, it's, it's because you are going to hear his upbringing. Now, really quick on, on Travis. He's uh, a podcaster who's approaching 700 episodes. Um, he is part of this very selective and exclusive $100 million mastermind ran by Dan Fleischman and Joel Marion. If you don't know them, it'd be probably a good idea to look them up, but uh, they, they have their hands in so many different things. And, and, and the reason I even mention that is because you don't get into that shit unless you're doing something special. And you can't afford to get into it unless you're doing something special, in my opinion, as well. And more importantly, he's the founder of the Guestio app, which uh, he will talk about. Now, I, I thought we were going to talk about it a lot, but we got into a lot of different aspects uh, before we could even get to that. And the aspects uh, that I feel like are going to be really, really important for you to listen to are, you know, just how our upbringing influences not only our decision making and our work ethic, but some of our entrepreneurial skill sets. And I'll just give you an example not of his, but of mine. And that was, look, I, I was a, I'm a first generation American. Like I didn't have play clothes. All I knew was that I needed to start working and working early on in my life. And my sister and I both worked under the table, I had my first job when I was 12. And at that point I was responsible for getting my own clothes and things like that. I worked at an apple orchard. I was always the youngest kid in my grade, by the way, just because of where my birthday sits in September. So uh, I did that for a couple years. Then I was in high school, I think sophomore year, I started working at a deli. And then junior and senior year, I worked in a coffee shop in a hospital that my entire family worked at. And I may have mentioned this before, and if not, I'm just letting you know, both sets of my grandparents worked there, both immigrants. My parents worked there, immigrants. My sister worked there first-gen American, um, and she worked in radiology, and I worked at the coffee shop. And why I'm mentioning this is I was always customer-facing all of those jobs. Actually, no, I wasn't. At the deli, I was responsible for taking out all the fat and throwing it in the dumpster. It was disgusting. Uh, but at the orchard and the store at the orchard and the hospital cafe, I, I was service-oriented. I was um, you know, waiting on tables, working the register, those types of things. And I would deal with people from all different backgrounds, people with different upbringings, people with different religions, people with different you know, sexualities, people with different everything. More importantly, I was dealing with people who were in various emotional states, you know, happiness from having a baby girl, you know, maybe relief uh, that maybe someone got some test results back and they were a couple hours from being discharged and they needed another cup of coffee. Maybe it was someone who got bad news. Maybe it was someone who uh, had a cousin that passed away. I'll never forget this time I was trying to be really up, upbeat and charismatic with a, a gentleman I was waiting on. And he, he ultimately just said like, look, man, like, I think he said my cousin's dying or gonna die. Like, I'm not in the mood. And in Jersey, people say shit like that all the time. People get right to the point. Now, 
That experience certainly plays a part in the way I interact with people on a general basis. And I believe it fast forwarded uh, the way I'm able to communicate, the way I'm able to receive. And it doesn't mean I don't have my own drawbacks and all these other things, but I, I would say there's a certain amount of emotional intelligence that was built fundamentally back then, uh, even though I didn't realize it or I couldn't acknowledge it, but it, it, it was kind of inherently happening. Now, Travis is going to talk about his upbringing. He's going to talk about uh, an element of seclusion, so to speak. And then uh, when he and his wife uh, made a decision to kind of live a little bit of a different lifestyle, he leaned on some of that upbringing that I think to many of us would be like, you would imagine that he would probably be at a disadvantage, but it was actually advantageous and he had a fantastic sales career. And then like many of us, he decided, I, I don't want to do this anymore, whatever this is for you, or just the time has come for that thing to be over. And when that happens and you want to start a business or you don't want a boss or you don't want to work for anyone or whatever it is, then that's when it all begins when you actually take action against that, right? Like when you don't want to do something and you're like, well, now I'm gonna put myself in a position where I am completely relying on myself. So uh, you'll hear him talk about that. You'll hear him talk about, um, you know, the confidence and the lessons and the mindset. And, and obviously the most important part is building a network. The, also the name of his podcast, Build Your Network. This is huge. This is huge. And it was, it was so timely because we were at a podcasting conference and networking is an intrinsic part of these experiences, is it not? So we ended up talking about that at length, of course, and then we talked about a couple other things. Uh, but Travis was phenomenal, super laid back, amazing guy, responsive. And uh, like many of the people I'm actually able to meet in person, just humble, really humble. So there's that. And also got to meet Mark Cuban briefly. I got to meet one of my past guests, Mike Kim, uh, whose book is out and it's called You Are the Brand. Uh, so I just felt like I should mention that because it's actually now a Wall Street bestseller. Uh, so that's awesome for him. I love when I have a podcast guest on that eventually uh, hits some sort of milestone. So I got to meet him in person, which was always cool. And um, yeah, it was just a fantastic time. So I, I digress, but that's that's where I was. That's uh, where we uh, executed this podcast. And look, stay tuned for the mid-roll. Um, I want to tell you about a special discount code you could apply to a company that is sponsoring this episode, which is Rocket Station. And I'll tell you about it uh, once we're about halfway through. Let's get it going. All right, so you just got the awesome intro, and I don't like to dig too much into backgrounds, Travis, but you started off in sales, and we'll get into the podcast and everything else, but tell me about sales, and do you or did you enjoy it? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the learning process, and I enjoyed the paychecks is really the answer to the question, because at the time, I was in college to be a full-time Christian minister, essentially, like a youth pastor. So while I was in college, I was making double, like more than double what I was planning on making after I got my degree. And uh, so I, I enjoyed the paychecks yeah. is really, the, is really the, the real answer to the question. And uh, it just became like when I realized I didn't really want to be in ministry after I graduated. Now I have a useless Bible degree. It doesn't really help me get a job anywhere. And, uh, you know, the, at that point it was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to just go sit on a desk and make 28 K a year and work my way up some corporate ladder and hope that in 10 years I can make 70 grand or something like that? Or 
just do 100% commission sales and work when I want and just crush it and make some money. You know what I mean? So I, I did enjoy, I did enjoy that aspect. The hundred percent commission thing. I enjoyed being able to kind of work when I wanted to. I didn't like people telling me what to do. I still don't obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I just kind of liked working on my own schedule, doing my own thing and sales set me up a lot, I think for, for everything else later on. That was literally going to be my follow-up. A lot of the entrepreneurs that we know, a lot of them always say, you should have had a sales job just to understand, to feel the rejection, to understand the rejection, yep. to develop the thick skin. How was that for you, developing the kind of thick skin and getting rejection? I mean, like literally your paycheck depended on it. Yeah. Um, did you find yourself ever trying to take shortcuts or you're like, no, I just got to get better? Yeah. That, I mean, that's the bottom line, man. It's just got to go hit the doors. You know, it, The one thing I miss about doing door to door was the simplicity of it. Where right now, running a software company, you, sometimes you don't know which lever to be pulling on. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have operations and you have sales and you have marketing and you have hiring and you have all these different things and you got to like kind of be playing with all the levers all the time and others always balance. You have to put work here, put work there. With door to door, man, it was just like, if I'm in a funk, the answer, the solution is go knock on more doors. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just super simple, which I, 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 I kind of miss that simplicity those days. Um, you know what I mean? It was just, I go out, I sell, I come home. You know what I mean? It's super easy. Uh, well, not easy, but simple. And so the rejection part, man, a lot of people ask, uh, you know, about how I, I did that. And I don't really remember it being something that was like insurmountable to me. I think that I just, like I said, I, I enjoyed competition. Yeah. I was always, I always played a bunch of sports growing up and I, I'm a competitor. I don't like to lose and uh, door to door brought that part out of me. And so, especially because when I first joined, I was in college. And so a lot of my friends were working at the same place that I was working. And so I just wanted to beat everybody. You know what I mean? And so I would just put more hours in on the doors or I would do some more training when everybody wouldn't do it because I just wanted to win. And then in this case, you know, in sports growing up, winning's great, but it doesn't re result in money. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now I'm playing this game of sales and it's like, oh, I win and I get to feel good because I won, but also I got a fat paycheck from it too. You know what I mean? So it was like a discovering a new thing. And so the, the rejection to me, you know, I think it gets to you after a while, which is why I like, I saw the writing on the wall after like my third or fourth year doing it. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And when I'm like 35, so I need to pivot now if I'm going to you know, end up in a different destination later on. So I just kind of got out of it when I, when I felt like I was, you know, done. I like to like unravel as the podcast goes. And this is my first thought is that a lot of people in college who weren't doing what you were doing were doing what normal college people do, just working enough to drink, you know, <laughs> or working enough to go parties, hanging out, sleeping late, missing classes and all these other things. And it seemed like you were like, no, like there's some sort of responsibility or lifestyle I could live better. And you were thinking ahead. Sure. Uh, so it seems like that's going to be a pattern that evolves yeah, as we go into and, it. But go ahead. You know, and to be fair, uh, it, like for me at that time in my life, I grew up like the, the, the religion that I grew up in was very, I, I never call it a cult because I think that disrespects people. Like my buddy has like literally 27 brothers and sisters and three moms. Yeah. Like he was in a actual cult, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I feel bad the cult, like for him, if yeah. I called what I grew up in a cult, but it's very, very, very similar, like a small tight knit religious bubble is the way that I kind of explain What's the, it. What is it called? Or the religion? Yeah. Independent fundamental Baptist okay. is what we were. So like we didn't even associate with other Baptists, like Southern Baptists were too, you know, liberal role for us. We were, you know, over here further on the right from Southern Baptist. Yeah. Uh, so when I was coming out of all of that, you know what I mean? Like I, 
I, I was conditioned to think a certain way about life. And so I didn't, I, th- there was never the, like, it wasn't even a question in my mind about what I was going to do this weekend. Like, should yeah. I go drink or should I go work? Like we literally, I never, like, I didn't drink alcohol until I was in my, you know, mid twenties. I didn't like do any of the other party stuff. I graduated. Um, so I finished a semester early in college. I got married the next month and then walked and graduated, got my diploma in May, like five months later, um, and then moved to Fresno, started my first job and bought a house right after that. So like I was 21, married with a mortgage, you know, so there wasn't really any like, that was what I was doing my 21st birthday is like having a wife and like paying bills, you know what I mean? So there wasn't like a lot of room for doing what I wanted to do or just kind of messing around or partying or whatever. Like I was always focused on, on what I had going on life is a lot better without distractions. So like when you have your eye on the prize or eyes on the prize, like it just obviously seems better. So then yeah. obviously, you know, I saw some of your history and and you were working and you moved up, but at some point a podcast came along and uh, it's called Build Your Network. Yep. And like, why did you come up with that? Did you notice, wow, I have awesome networking abilities. It's time to share it or? Opposite of that. It was like, I need to build my own network and I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> yeah, Sweet. Uh, no, that legitimately that's what it was because I, it was at that point where I had um, the first full-time year that I was in door-to-door. And my number one goal was make six figures. And I was like 22 or 23 at the time. And I had six figures. And uh, it was one of those like weird moments in life because it was counterintuitive to what I thought would happen um, and what most people would think would happen. Like if you're 23 and you're making six figures in 20-hour work weeks, you know, you'd think you'd be like stoked on continuing to do that 100%. for a long time. <laughs> Uh, but I, like I said, I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. I was already bumping up against the ceiling of where I was. And, at, you know, it scared me at 23 to already be kind of like bumping up against that. I knew that I had more in me and I could probably do more with a few more years. But I was like, if I do this for another 10 years, I'm not going to see exponential results. I'm only going to see incremental results. And that's scary prospect to me as a 23-year-old. Let me interrupt for a second. Why is it so hard for people to think that far ahead and kind of have that self-awareness? Like, you know, there's someone who's 33 who would be completely happy with what you were doing at 23 and be like, dude, I'm halfway home. Yeah. But like, why do you think people are that way? Dude, that's a good question, man. I spent a lot of time trying to think about those things Mm -hmm. because, you know, I have kids now, you know, I got two uh, two little kids. And so I'm always trying to think of like, how can I, how can I help them have that drive and have that ambition and have that motivation to go out and like do things and, and think that way. And, um, I, I, am not a hundred percent sure where it came from. Probably mm-hmm. my, I think probably my, my parents, there was a lot of delayed gratification growing up. My, my parents were extremely frugal, mm. um, with, with the money that they made and, and made smart financial decisions. And so that probably is where some of that came from. Um, but I was always a future thinker. I don't know. I don't know where I really got that from, but it was always just kind of like, yeah, this is cool and all, but like, I don't want to be 33 doing this. You know what I mean? I don't want to be 43 doing this. And so I would look around at the people around me that have been doing it for a lot longer than me and look at the way that they were living their lives. And I was like, this guy's like, uh, like, I love this guy, but he's like 48 knocking doors, like still going out drinking, partying on the weekends and like, you know, on his third wife. And I was just like, dude, I love you, but I don't want to end up there you know, and it scared me uh, enough to be just like, I quit cold turkey. Because the thing is in door-to-door, 100% commission door-to-door sales, you can't half-ass it and show up to work and still collect the paycheck. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like a lot of people can just kind of keep doing their job while they figure out their side hustle. Totally check out. Just like <laughs> show up to their cubicle, input their data, grab their <laughs> paycheck and they're, and, they're, and they're gone, you know? But for me, it was like, I can't half-ass this. If, if I don't want to do it anymore, I'm not going to do it because I, I, I'm going to waste my time. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm not going to make money. I'm not going to close deals. 
Um, and so I just, I, I quit cold Turkey, man. It just is like, I, I gotta do something else. And I so love bold moves like I, that. Yeah. I just, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, at that point, you know, so six months, eight months of just like first time in my life that I, that I, that I looked to outside sources for knowledge and I started reading and I started, which was a huge thing for me. Like my family was so surprised because I was always the kid that hated reading. Like they tried to get me to read all the time. And I was always like, no, 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 I hate it. I hate it. And so I started reading books and listening to audio books and, you know, watched some YouTube videos and the first time I ever got into listening to podcasts. And, uh, and so I listened to a few podcasts, thought this would be a really cool idea. I don't know what to talk about. Let's do sales. Looked up sales in iTunes and there was like 30,000 podcasts talking about sales. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know much about this world, but I know that I shouldn't do that because it's too saturated. I'm not gonna be able to stand out as a 24 year old kid with no credibility. So uh, what else can I talk about? And so the, the one thing that I thought was, why did I think that I was pretty good at sale at, at sales? Like, why did I think that I made six figures selling door to door at 23? And the answer to me was I got around people who were way better than me at doing it. And I learned how they did it. And I reverse engineered it and I applied it and put the work in. And uh, that to me seemed like a really good path to learn or do anything that you want to do is go get around the people who are doing it at the highest possible level and learn directly from them. And your, your results are always going to be accelerated and exponential uh, instead of you just trying to figure out on your own. And so that's where the idea of build your network came from. It was just like, oh, I'll do a show on networking then. And so I looked it up. I thought it was going to be super saturated like sales because everybody talks about networking. And it was nothing, man. It was crickets. There was, there was no show out there that was specifically like everybody talks about it in an episode. But specifically talking about networking, there was no show that existed. And I was like, all right, cool. That seems like a blue ocean. So started the show Build Your Network really as a way for me to build my own network. I was starting from scratch, man. When I left that religious bubble I grew up in, you know, like a lot of people have like, oh, my friend from college, you know, his dad is this VP of blah, blah, blah. And it's just like for me, grew up in this, you know, small Baptist community. So when I left that, my entire network existed there because I went there from the time that I was like, we went to the church from the time that I was three until the time I was 22. And then they had a, a school on the campus of the church that was closed enrollment. Like it was not like nobody from nobody that was not a paying member of the church, nobody like outside of that could join the school. And so I went to that school from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And I went to college on the same campus as well. So literally, bro, like from kindergarten through senior year of college, almost seven days a week, I was there because we had church on Sunday, we had soul winning Saturday, and I had school Monday to Friday. So you know, coming out of all of that, I, I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a network because they were all over there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like, if I want to do this thing and I want to be successful in life, like I got to go find some people, man. I got to go see like how people are doing stuff and, and learn from them. And so it was very much a kind of a, almost like a selfish message for myself where it's like, I got to learn how to do this because I need to surround myself with better people. If I'm the average of the five people that I spend the most time with, then I need to go boost my average, man, because like, yeah. this is a God, That's know. crazy. Cause like, to someone from the outside looking in, I'd be like, well, this dude's clearly in over his head. Like if he was in that kind of bubble for that long, like he doesn't even know. It's like going to Vegas for the first time. You're like, what is <laughs> yeah. happening? Right. So it's like the whole, it's like a whole new world. So for you, um, I would imagine that it would have been a challenge, but it seems like you were after it. And now you're almost here at 700 episodes. Talk to me about your podcast journey. Yeah, man, it, it was a challenge, you know, it, it definitely was a challenge, M mostly because we were really coming out of that world and changing belief structures and systems. And I, we were doing that as a married couple, my wife and I, you know, because she grew up the same way I did. And we, we, you know, started dating our senior of high school. And so, you know, that was a very challenging time in those in those regards, you know, sometimes I look back on it, and I was like, I wonder how I got anything done, because we were in such like, just kind of con like confused states about like, our own morals and values and hierarchies in life, you know, and so to get anything done in that state was like, and I don't know how even how I compartmentalized it back then, but 
just got it done somehow and and uh, and just kept kind of pushing forward. So yeah, man, podcasting started in uh, uh, 2017. So we're here at Podcast Movement right now and it's August. I launched my show like two weeks after the Podcast Movement 2017 in August. So it's literally probably probably this week will be four years exactly that I, that I launched my show. Um, and then we're coming up on 700 episodes now um, and been able to interview some of my personal you know, heroes, really. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about it and what that led to. Obviously, there's a pain point that you identified and then that led to what you're doing, what you're pushing on now. But for the podcast, I have the same approach. I like to interview people who inspire me. I've been following you for a while. And then like the, the Gary V's, the Jockos, all those people. I'm like, I just want to get in front of them. And I'm going to figure out a way how, because I want to purge some of that knowledge, not only for me, uh, which you understand, of course, like we're learning, dude. Like that saves me reading a book. Dude, that's half the reason to do a podcast. I tell people all the time, it's my number one education accountability partner. 100%. Because like I'm always talking to people, having good conversations, and I'm asking the questions that I want to know the answer to. Exactly. It's literally like free mentorship and coaching sessions. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And so yeah, I mean, it's been an accelerated learning curve and you feel like you owe it to your audience, which if you're a semblance of a good host at all, you should feel that way. You should feel like you need to give your audience the best content you possibly can. So I'm always reading the top industry books and listening to the top audio books and listening to podcasts, like trying to perfect, you know, our ability to bring value to our listeners and, uh, so that's really accelerated, accelerated the learning for, for me. So you're looking back and it's 700 episodes. Podcasting is tough. It can be very simple and it can be very easy, both. But there's a lot of times where plenty of people I know, even myself, are just like, dude, I don't know. Like, this, this is just getting too much. Did you ever have those moments? And oh, yeah. talk to me about them. Yeah, definitely. Because at the beginning, man, nobody, nobody listened. You know what I mean? Like that was tough. Uh, we probably 18 months before we started seeing like some decent traction yeah. and 18 months of three interviews a week that I was doing wow. at the time and three interviews a week is a lot of work. You know, when you don't have a network, this is like, you have to go find people and then pitch them and then book them and then interview them at three per week for that entire period of time without making money. It was just like, uh, what am I doing? Because like, I know I could go out with sales and I can make a lot of money if I spend this time selling stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but uh, from the beginning, it was basically just a long-term commitment. I knew that going into it, it was going to be like, look, I'm going to give this a minimum of two years. And if at, at, the, at the end of two years, if nothing comes from it, if I don't make any money and I, I haven't learned anything or I haven't met any new people or it just wasn't worth my time. Then at two years, I'll reconsider what I'm going to do next. I'll either can keep it going, stop it, do something different, but I'm gonna give it a minimum of two years. Um, and I think that uh, every, everybody that I coach, everybody that I teach, I tell them the same thing. You have to commit because there's going to be a, so many times where, where it doesn't make any logical sense to keep doing it. You know what I mean? And, uh, uh, but the, the only people that end up getting, you know, really big in this space are the people who push through those times and do it anyway. Um, and so that was, that was what it was for me. It was two years, consistent quality content, and then I'll do some reconsideration after that if it doesn't go well. All right, I'm going to read a list of things to you that my lead VA or my ops lead texted me today. I didn't want to check Slack uh, because I was about to have a really important conversation with a prospect. And I go, hey, can you just text me everything that took place? And uh, I have no idea where I just put my phone, but it was one of the longest texts I've ever received. And uh, there was a couple hours left in the shift. And it varied. It varied from executing payroll it was sending invoices, invoice reminders to a couple people that um, are delinquent in their invoices. It was 
content planning for next week. It was assignments that I needed uh, that she put as tasks for me that I needed to execute. Uh, there were some podcasting things that she took care of. So, you know, already uh, we've covered accounting, already we've covered payroll, already we've covered client-based work. So there's that. And then she told me about uh, a couple emails and DMs received from people that I met at Podcast Movement that are interested in doing some work. Then she talked about what was the other thing? Oh, she talked about uh, some of the screening for some of the new hires uh, that are coming on board uh, or the two finalists. Uh, she screened them and then she set up the meetings for them that I'm going to have uh, next week. Oh, and then she sent me all her notes from a couple courses I asked her to take from Dennis Yu from Blitzmetrics, who was, uh, I, guess, I, I guess, not long ago. So that was some of it. And that's just off memory. If I had it in front of me, like I'd still be reading. So what does that tell you? That's all shit I don't need to do. That's all shit I delegated. Those are all things that I was unable to do and that would not benefit me. You know, she is a conduit and uh, the others that are coming on board are gonna be conduits to just getting more done. And the more that gets done, the more I'm able to focus on what I need to focus and that's building the business. I say it every week. You can't be down and in, you need to be up and out. And that is exactly my plan. Oh, and uh, yeah, our newest clients on the podcast production side, she made some graphics for them and sent them some graphics. And she also uh, was in touch with the podcast team and realized that one episode needs to be re-recorded because someone's mic wasn't on in one of them. These are all things. She's doing the job of a million people and she's doing it in a phenomenal way. Okay, all that is just to tell you that I got her from Rocket Station. Okay, so rocketstation.com. If you wanna set an appointment to learn more, go to landing.rocketstation.com. Or you can email brooks at rocketstation.com and tell them you've listened to the Leadership Locker, that you know Rich Cardona, that you've heard about them from me, and they will go from there. If you mention that, they're going to give you 25% off your process mapping, which is before you even get your candidates that you're going to interview, they're going to map out the processes that you're going to need them to execute. They're going to do that for you. They're going to, you're going to talk through it. They're going to document it. They're going to present it to you. And then you're going to say if anything changed or if it's good to go. So 25% off that. Mention the leadership locker. Look, if there's anything I just said that appeals to you, okay, at a very, very affordable rate, full-time, part-time, your hours, wherever you are, your hours, then you need to reach out, okay? That was long as hell, but I just want you to know, I want you to get a feel for it. Let's get back to the show. One of um, someone that used to work with our company said to me, it was like our first year, and she's like, there's nothing non-negotiable to you. Like everything's negotiable. And this was a, a, you know, a weakness in the beginning. Entrepreneurs, I mean, like we ideate, we think, we see shiny objects. And I was like, okay, year two is a different story. Niching down, focusing on certain specific things. And like that kind of thing, that what you just mentioned, if you're listening, is incredibly important. If you say to yourself, like it's non-negotiable for the next two years, no matter what happens, that's literally those moments where you think you're going to have a breakdown, that breakthrough happens. So obviously the two years worked out and then, and you started getting ridiculous guests. And yeah. There's, there's freedom and commitment, mm. which is totally counterintuitive. Yes. You know what I mean? Like commitment sounds like the opposite of freedom, but there is true freedom when you're truly committed to something because there's no decisions to be made. You know what I mean? Like people burn out because they try to make, they make too many decisions. Every day is a decision of should I quit or should I keep going? And then they, you know, after a while their will gives out on them and they're like, you know what? F it. I'm done. I quit. If you commit fully, the option to quit is not on the table. The only option is move forward. And which makes you have to be resourceful because if I want to move forward and be successful and what I'm doing currently isn't working, then I, 
the like they're the only option is to keep going and figure something else out because I already like took the quit option. I already tabled that. Like I know that that's not possible for me for two more years. And so you, you got to make that commitment. You got to keep that commitment. People's biggest mistake I think in life is they make too many commitments to themselves that they don't keep. And they have a horrible reputation with themselves. They don't like themselves when they look themselves in the mirror and they can't figure out why. And it's because they don't even trust themselves, you know, and then it comes across in their sales, it comes across in their marketing. People don't like to do business with them because they can't quite put their finger on it. But it's because that person is portraying a version of themselves that they don't even like and they don't even trust. How are you going to expect somebody else to know, like, and trust you if you don't even like and trust yourself? You know what I mean? And so that energy is tangible, man. Like yeah. you're, you're so, and I'm telling you from personal experience, and, and maybe you've been there too, where you're just like, this isn't me. And then all of a sudden when the switch flips, it's, it becomes easy. And you're just like, it how leaks into your confidence, man. It, like confidence is built on your reputation with yourself. Like how much do, like what opinion do you hold of yourself? Yeah. Um, you have to have an impeccable relationship with yourself. If you're going to exude confidence in a way that doesn't come across as arrogance to people, you know, confidence is just being yourself strongly and not really, you know, caring about what other people think about you in that context. And that's the reason that I can go through rejection. Like you take any person that goes through rejection a lot and I promise you they have a strong relationship with themselves. Yeah. This is the only way that you can get through that much rejection. Like rejection pains you because it's a confirmation of your own inner thoughts about who you perceive yourself to be. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. if you know that that's not true, that like, oh, you know what? I'm not a piece of shit. Like I, I'm good at what I do. And, uh, and when I make commitments, I see them through and I give it my all and you carry that confidence with you. When somebody rejects you, it's like, yeah, that hurt a little bit, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to find someone else. Yep. Because like, I know this is going to work. You know what I mean? But if you all have these inner, these self doubts and all these, these, this inner talking to yourself and this language that people use of themselves, it's incredible the way that we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves. If anybody in our lives talked to us the way that we sometimes talk to ourselves, they wouldn't be our friends anymore. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? But for some reason, we just let ourselves like beat ourselves up all the time and then expect it to not affect the way that we live our life. And it's like, you can't talk to yourself like that. You could like, don't allow yourself to say things to yourself that you wouldn't allow your best friends to say to you. <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't, it, it, yeah. it's going to continue to be poison in, in your confidence, which is going to leak into the, your ability to overcome rejection, your ability to move on to the, you know, from a setback and, and have a comeback and mm -hmm. your ability to like keep pushing forward, you know? So that confidence plays a, a key role, man. So you established, obviously, a, a great deal of confidence podcasting. You had massive guests, and that goes into what a lot of entrepreneurs deal with. And we'll kind of obviously keep it podcast-specific because of where we are, but the big ask. And the big ask um, for a lot of people, especially who do this, is like, I want to reach out to Mark Cuban. I want to reach yeah. out to The Rock or whoever. And you realize that's a pain point, but because you were able to build a network, it wasn't necessarily as challenging for you and you wanted to make it easier for people. Yeah. How did you do that and, and what do we got going on? Yeah, man. So we basically started to, you know, when I started a podcast, my number one goal became, I want to create the best quality content that I could. I wrote a quote from Steve Martin on my whiteboard. I had it there for like six months and it was be so good. They can't ignore you. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's such a simple concept, you know what I mean? But, uh, he really embodied that. And I was like, that's so true. That's so true. If I go interview Barack Obama tomorrow, people are going to pay attention. They'd be like, Hey, I don't know who this Travis kid is, but this is a good interview with Barack Obama. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a certain point that, you know, the quality that you're putting out is going to demand that people pay attention to what you're doing. And so I was like, I don't know how to do that. Cause I'm a 24 year old door to door sales guy. Like I don't, I'm not a podcaster. I don't know how to do this. So I just interviewed and, you know, then that was really my, my, my thing. And so 
I just kept reaching up to more and more people. Again, taking that rejection and thick skin, you know, was, mattered a lot when I was doing that. Cause at the beginning I got rejected a lot. I got ignored a lot. And uh, this time it wasn't just Joe Schmo around the corner who's a piece of crap that I didn't care <laughs> was telling me to F off and get off his porch. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't that guy. It was a guy that I like looked up to, respected yeah. and, oh, and, and thought highly of. And they were rejecting me and ignoring me. And it was like, that hurt a little bit more. You know what I mean? That takes digs into your confidence a little bit more than some rando, you know, around the street. So I started reaching out to higher, higher quality guests. And then that became the question that most people started asking me. It was like, hey, you just started. How did you get the Grant Cardone? How did you get, you know, Telman Fertitta? How did you get John Maxwell? How did you get these people to say yes to interviews on your show? We put out some trainings and stuff. But at the end of the day, the answer is it takes months of persistence, reach out, backdoor entrances, introductions here, conference here, mastermind, join this group. Like, there's a lot that goes into being able to get these types of people on your show. And, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, I kind of got lucky at the time because, you know, I was still, when I started my podcast, I got back into door to door just to pay the bills. So I was just, I would sell one or two weeks every month, make enough money to like do everything I wanted to do, invest some money in my podcast, still be able to pay our bills and everything. I, let me just say this, man. I, this is for the audience. I'm literally potentially going to be in a position to take a, a job that kind of was presented to me. Uh, I still have to interview for it, but like, they're like, Rich, you should really take this. And Heather here, uh, we were talking about it and I'm just kind of like, does that mean I'm a sellout? And then I kind of came to grips and like, dude, like that literally could fund the business and fund these podcast trips that I do. And it's just like, it's not like, it's actually a boss move. One of my friends said is because you're literally going to funnel it right into the business to make your business grow. I'm just saying for the audience, it's so good to hear that you did that because it didn't phase you. You're like, this is just what needs to be done. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there's too much stigma, man. People, you can't, you can't care what those people think because a lot of times those people are actual sellouts. You know what I mean? And they're <laughs> yeah. just like hoping that you were going to fail in your entrepreneurial journey. Then when you go get a job, they're like, I knew it. Yeah. I knew that he couldn't do it on his own, you know? And it's like, all right, well, you're keeping, you're keeping track of time on too short of a schedule. You know what I mean? Talk to me in 10 years and we'll see what's up. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like 100%. it's, it's, it's the long term, And so that's the way you have to think. And, and you got to do what you got to do at the time. You know, I had, a, I had a family, I had a mortgage to pay, I had bills to pay. I couldn't just like do nothing. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so I, I, I'm, you know, made the money to be able to invest in masterminds and to be able to invest in my business, and uh, and then and then at the same time was was building up the the podcast on the side of that. So you had trainings and things like that, and I I know I've I've been able to people I've got the same questions, and and it is a ton of work. But at some yeah. point you're like I bet, and I'm just assuming a lot of people aren't going to do that. Exactly, work. That, that, that's kind of what I was getting around to. Yeah. It was like at the, when I first started, I had the time because the only thing that I did with my podcast was research guests and interview guests that all of my time went to getting good guests on my show. So I had the luxury of doing that at that time. And I know a lot of people don't, they're starting a podcast. It's the, like, they have three hours a week to do it. It's not even just, they're not willing to put in the work. It's like, I don't have time to do. I, I like, I can't reach out to that many guests. I, I, how do I get in touch with those people without, I give people credit that it's not just laziness. It's just like, it takes a ton of time. So what we wanted to do was build a tool that made it easier for people to do that. And so that's kind of what we came up with Guestio, um, the idea for it. And I was, trying to, I was trying to use this other thing called Cameo. And at the end of the day, it's just not what the platform's built for. It's a great platform. Buy you know, a 30-second happy birthday from Hulk Hogan for your dad or whatever. But uh, it's, all, it's more novelty. And so I was like, man, if this existed for me to be able to interview good quality people for my show and I could pay them a thousand bucks instead of having to try to find the gatekeeper and wait six months for a response and then go to this event that I know that they're going to be at to hopefully get a chance to shake their... You know what I'm saying? Like, instead of doing that, I can just pay a thousand bucks and I get them on now. Like, yes, please. You know what I mean? So... 
so we got we got to work building that platform uh, about a year ago. Um, did a soft launch six months ago. Just been collecting you know feedback from users, making iterations to the platform, and uh, so we're gonna do more of a more of a serious launch this fall. And uh, and that's basically what I'm spending all my time on now. Yeah, and I know you. We talked yesterday very briefly. Uh, you're working towards kind of scaling back a little bit on the podcasting, which I mean, hello. Anytime you approach anyone approaches 700 episodes, like fuck yeah, you're gonna scale back, especially if you have this going on. But what has the response been from users, or if it's in beta or whatever, and how how happy are they with it? Yeah, it's been good, man. I, I can't I can't complain. You know, I, I've I've heard a lot of nightmare stories from people developing products that people don't want, and they spend three hundred thousand dollars developing a product and realize that people don't want it, or they or they spend three hundred thousand dollars. And then our development team, you know, f's it up, and then it's like, oh, we're out of money now, and now we just have a janky platform that doesn't really work. And it's just like, I've heard a lot of nightmare stories. Like, I can't complain, man. We, we've gotten we've gotten some great user feedback. It, it was one of those things. Uh, the uh, uh, the lean startup was one of those books that like really changed my perspective on the whole thing and gave me a little bit more patience because. When we launched the first product, you think like, oh, by next month, we're going to have 10,000 users. You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, wait, they don't like this feature we built. Whoa, that sucks. Because we spent like a lot of time and like 15 grand building out that specific feature. And now they don't want it. You know what I mean? So it's like, what do we do now? You know, so we, you just have to bring on users, ask them what they like, what they don't like, make iterations, make changes, figure out what act, what people actually want before you, you know, bring in a ton of users and that process is going to take a long period of time. So that's kind of what we've been working through. But overall, the feedback's been really good. Um, we have some great investors that, that have uh, invested into our seed round that are on board, like, you know, John Lee Dumas and uh, Matt Barnes, uh, you know, Josh Snow, Joel Mary, and a lot of uh, top-notch investors. I just reached out to Matt Barnes. Awesome. So I'll, I'll try and summarize this in less than a minute because uh, uh, we're a little bit in a crunch for time. I'm interested in having John Lee Dumas on the show. I'm going to go to your platform and I'm going to expedite the process by paying for it, which happens a lot. And as entrepreneurs grow and realize that it's easier to invest in accelerating the process, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have him on the show and it's just going to be a completely different, hassle-free, emailless uh, experience. And an immediate yes. You know what I mean? Like It's not like, a, oh yeah, I have, I have time. Uh, talk to my assistant and we'll talk in seven months. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's when I have time. It's yeah. like, no, you're you're paying me and uh, we'll get it done in two weeks and it'll be done, you know? Where can people find you? And we'll wrap up there. Yeah, TravisChapel.com is probably a good place just to check out everything I got going on, all my socials and uh, links, podcast stuff is all over at TravisChapel.com. We are in the middle of construction on the site right now. So there's probably some outdated things on there if you go there really soon, but it uh, should be updated pretty, pretty soon. And then on the App Store, it's Guestio. Just if you're uh, so Google users, you know, depending on what, when this episode comes out, should be able to get it here in the next few weeks. Um, but it's immediately available for iOS users right now. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone. No matter where you listened, the Leadership Locker thrives off you letting other people know that they should probably listen to it. Okay. Travis shared a lot of personal aspects that I think a lot of us can relate to in our own way about what has been able to thrust him forward in entrepreneurship. And I want other aspiring and new entrepreneurs to hear these things. So please imagine there's a toll booth. Imagine you can't listen to another episode unless you share it. Share this with someone, rate it and review it. This is how it grows. And I just literally came from a freaking podcast conference, okay? No matter what I do anywhere on social, there's nothing more powerful than a recommendation. Think of Netflix. 
You don't just go browse Netflix, man. People tell you what you should be watching on Netflix and this word of mouth is the same thing. So if the leadership blockers giving you anything, please share it, get the word out. I'm trying to take this thing to the moon. See you next week.